First Kings chapter 18 this evening, we want to, I'm going to minister a sermon called Let the Fire Fall, and uh, just the stirring again of, of the fire of God. True story, Pastor Scott Lamb was pastoring in El Paso, Texas. He, he's a pastor in our fellowship, if you don't know. And they were having a revival meeting. They were just having service, and God was really moving in the service. But a funny thing happened. The fire department showed up. And they were like, what? The fire department said, we got a couple of calls that your building was on fire. He's like, what? Didn't know. Numbers of people, not just one, because if it was just one, you could say either they're insane or they're stoned or both. But a number of people called the fire department because they said they saw flames coming out of the roof. Now, you can take that for what it's worth. That's happened before. One of the connections or one of the illustrations God uses of the Holy Spirit is fire. That God wants His fire to fall. Fire is an amazing, I don't know what to call it, a thing, I guess. I don't know, how do you say, what is fire, you know? But it's amazing. Because it changes the property of things. When you cook meat... It changes the property of that meat, killing the bacteria, making it edible. It changes, the, it changes the properties of almost every solid on the earth can be melted and formed. A lot of you have jewelry on, rings or, or such. Much of that was melted, and especially if it's gold or silver, melted, shaped because of that. In the text we're going to read, I, uh, I, Elijah is calling for fire. He is confronting the prophets of Baal. He's confronting Ahab and his wife Jezebel that have caused Israel much problems in their backsliding three and a half years. It has not rained in Israel. Now the confrontation comes, and it's fire. Elisha says, let's see which God has the fire. I believe he took that out of Deuteronomy 4, where it says that our God is a consuming fire. This is quoted in Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews 12:29. for our God is a devouring or a consuming fire. Let's read. 1 Kings 18, we're going to pick it up in verse 21 for the sake of the story. And then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? He's speaking to the people of Israel. If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, then follow Him. And the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring us two bulls. 
The prophet of Baal may choose whichever one they wish to cut into pieces and lay it wood upon their altar, but without setting fire to it. And I will prepare the other bill and lay it on uh, the wood on the altar, but set no fire to it. And then they uh, then call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. The people agreed. And then Elijah said to the prophets of the Baal, you go first. There are many of you, choose out one of the bulls, prepare it and call upon the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no kind of reply. They danced, hobbling around the altar uh, that they had made, and about noontime, Elijah began to mock them. You should have shouted louder, he said. Is he away on a trip? Is he asleep and needs to be awakened? And so they shouted louder, following their normal customs, and they cut themselves with knives and sword, and the blood gushed out. And they raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but there was still no sound, no reply, no response. And Elisha called the people together and said, Come over here. And they crowded around him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. And he took twelve stones, one to represent each of the twelve, uh, each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the, alt, uh, uh, rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. And he uh, applied the wood on the altar cut the bull into pieces and laid the pieces on uh, on the wood. And he said, fill up four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering in the wood. And after they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did, as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench And at the usual time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O God, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove yourself today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all that you, uh, all this at your command. O Lord, answer me and the, and and, uh, answer, uh, so these people will know that you are, O Lord, our God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull and the wood and the stones and the dust and even licked up the water in the trench. And all the people saw it, fell on their ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord, he is God. We'll talk about the fire falling. And the first thing that we see that is happening here beyond the mocking of Baal and the challenging of the world. Now, you and I don't, in and of ourselves, we're not going to do well. I've mentioned it before, but I was in Cork, Ireland, and in Cork, Ireland, when we would outreach, all of this craziness was going on in the streets. The charities were out asking for money. Their blind guide dogs of, uh, of Ireland, St. Paul de Vincent's, uh, Amnesty International, all of these groups were on the streets asking for money as well as uh, different uh, 
coupons that were being passed out. It was maddening from Big Macs to shoes to cellular services, uh, all sorts of things on the streets. Not only that, all the religions were out. The Mormons and the Muslims uh, had their table. The Jehovah Witnesses had their little rack. Uh, the Catholics would do a street mission. The Hare Krishners would march uh, about 11 o'clock uh, and do a march down the street chanting uh, his name. Uh, there was a crazy politician that used to just create a rally. He would protest something uh, or another, whether it was the banks, the European Union, the United States, Israel. He, he was just crazy. And in all this cacophony, I said, God, how am I and my wife at the time, we're just alone, we're pioneering. How are we going to get their attention? How are we going to get the fire to fall? This is, I believe, what, Be- what Elijah is saying. He says, I'm alone. It's just me. There's 450 of them. I am well outnumbered. I need something beyond just a theological argument. Just beyond religion. Just beyond attending a church. Just beyond a claiming I'm a follower of the Lord. I need the fire to fall. He begins this by rebuilding the altar. The altar had become neglected. The altar had simply... Now, an altar is simply a place. The literal term of altar is sacrifice, but it became the place where God and man meet. It became the place where God uh, would visit His people. And that you and I need a place that God is going to visit us. We need to reestablish that uh, in our hearts. He takes 12 stones. These are symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. It says in our verse 31 of our text, he took 12 stones representing each of the tribes of Israel. This has to do with the fathers of their faith. Abraham is called the father of our faith. We're showing the 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 memorial stones in our Sunday school, the history of our fellowship, but far beyond that, the history of Israel, the father of their faith was Abraham, of Jacob. He calls upon the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was significant. The God of Abraham is the God of miracles. God did miracles, called this man out uh, who had no children his wife uh, they hadn't they've been trying they didn't work out and so he calls him and tells i'm going to be you're going to be the father of many nations i'm going to do a miracle for you isaac is the child of promise god is faithful that which he's promised he will do and jacob is the god that changes people God that helps people. Because Jacob wasn't exactly the most deserving. But he was the good man who God helped. See, when we look at these, we need to look and understand that if we want what they had, then we've got to do what they did. Pastor Mitchell used to say that people want what we are, but they don't want to do what we do to get what we are. Every young child probably has some kind of fantasy of what they want to be when they grow up, right? At one point, I wanted to be a rock star or, you know, an athlete or all of these, you know, things that little child children want to do. They don't want to put the effort into it. 
I don't want to make the effort. I, at one time I wanted to be an astronaut, but then I found out that astronauts couldn't smoke cigarettes, and I thought, well, that's gone. And I wish I was making that up, but I'm not, and that was seventh grade. But anyway, the reality of things like evangelism, morning prayer, church planting, discipleship, the blessing of what our fathers have had. And if we're not careful to quote Pastor Joe Campbell all the time, we can lose it by simply playing at a neglected altar. I had a privilege when I was in Cork, Ireland, and that privilege was to see the house that my great-grandfather was born in. It's a very special. I got a couple of pictures of them. There's an old classic stone cottage in Ireland. Apparently, my, this is my mother's father's father, the O'Neills. And uh, I have a cousin who's done a lot of research. She actually holds dual citizenship. When we moved there, she, she took us around to show us some areas And we ended up going out to the place and I met a cousin of some sort. I don't know if he was my fifth cousin, twice removed or however that works. But uh, I met John O'Neill and uh, he showed me where this was. My mother came to visit. I was able to show my mother. Her brother came to visit us. I was able to show her brother this place. And it's fascinating, but it's, it's fallen apart. It's just a little cottage in the, in the forest. That the thatch roof is gone. The, you know, some of the walls are gone. All the windows, the doors. It's just a little bit left of the walls. It's been neglected. Trees have grown up in the middle of what used to be the living room. We can also allow our spiritual lives to become like that. They can be neglected. We can go through. We can say, no, it's still there. And I can tell you it's still there. But it's not what it should be and it's definitely not inhabitable. Sometimes we've got to repair the altars. Not only did he do the 12 stones, he dug a trench. He said, let's not make fire on this. And he's comparing this. He says, let's not do this. It's the God that answers by fire. But he made room for an offering. Now, making room for an offering, that could be money, that could be time, that could be our future, that could be our talents. Do you make room for God for an offering? If you're neglecting that, then you're neglecting the altar. There are three wonderful sacrifices he puts upon the altar. I want you to consider these. One is the bull. Bulls, of course, represented lots of things. In Leviticus, the sacrifice of the bull, this had to do with sin, that a bull was taken 
for sin that once a year, of course, the high priest would sacrifice a bull and with the blood go into the Holy of Holies. There were other times when someone sinned, they would take a bull, they would lay their hands on the bull, they would confess their sins over the bull while they slit its throat, then they would burn it and cook it on the altar. There were also times of thanksgiving offerings. There were other, of course, goats and sheep that were used. But the bull had to do primarily with sin. Putting that upon the altar and dealing with that in our lives. Romans 12.1 So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. For all that he's, uh, because of all that he's done for you, let them be a living, holy sacrifice. The kind that he finds acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. It's the picture that Paul is using out of that language is putting ourselves upon the altar. Now you can't be the sacrifice for your own sin. Only Jesus could do that. But can you put yourself into the sacrifice for the purposes of Christ in your life and in the earth? 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 15. If we seem crazy, it is to bring the glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. But either way, Christ's love controls us since we believe that Christ died for all. And we also believe that if we have all died to our old life, He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life no longer live for themselves. Instead, they live for Christ who died and raised, was raised for them. That the understanding that Paul writes, he says, it's not my life, it's Christ's sacrifice for us. It is the least, the least I could do to live for Him. It's the least you could do. And never let it be said you didn't do the least you could do. Right? That, that's the picture that Paul puts out there. He says, you know what? It's the least. Jesus shed His blood. And you can't witness you can't pay your tithe? It's the least you could do for the God who shed and gave everything for you. Put the bull on the altar. The second thing he puts on the altar is water. Now, he dumps water upon it three times. I believe that this was a couple of things. Verses 33 through 35. And he piled the wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, laid the pieces of, uh, on the wood. And then he said, fill four large pots with water and pour the water o- over the offering and the wood. And they had done this. And he said, do the same thing again. And when they finished, he said, now do it a third time. And so they did it. And the water ran around and even filled the trench. Now think about this. Two things with the water. One is it had been a three and a half year drought 
water was probably more precious than anything else. Now, we don't have water problems around here at all. 20, 20 to 25% of the world's fresh water flows through the five Great Lakes. Water's not an issue, but you go to places like Arizona, Texas, and California, and I'll tell you what, water is very precious. Because they said, this is desert. What a great place to build a big city. Let's build the second biggest city in the United States there. Not thinking. Right? They built water. And in fact, you should, I I challenge you to read the history of water and L.A. How it was, there's murders and cutthroat deals and land scams to get water to L.A. It's an absolute amazing thing. They own a la- L.A. County actually owns a lake further up north in California, and they scammed people out of it. It was an amazing little thing. It's very precious to them. Worth more than lots of things. Not only was there a bull, but there's also some preciousness. The very essence of life. He said, put it on the altar. But I also think that this was to show that this wasn't a work of man. There was no way he had some kind of hidden pyrotechnic thing that at a snap of his finger, he was going to light up. You know, it wasn't a deceit of hand. Do you ever see the guy who will take a package of sugar or salt and pour it in his hand and then all of a sudden it disappears and then he's got it again? Do you know how they do that? They're usually wearing a fake thumb. And it's hollow and they fill it in there and then they put it on and while you're looking at the hand that had, had the sugar or salt in there, they've got it in their other hand and then all of a sudden they can take it off and throw the sugar or salt in the air. It's all a fake thumb. Elijah's saying, there ain't, no, there ain't no magic with this. It's not a sleight of hand. Like, watch here while I do something there. That's what most magi- magicians do. They get you distracted over here while they're doing something over there. But the, uh, that's part of the picture is he's showing it's not a work of man. And as he pours it on, He says, look, God can even move in that which shouldn't be lit on fire. You know, wet wood is not exactly ideal for starting a fire. He says, this is going to work. The third is he prays. Verses 37 and 38, O Lord, answer me. Answer me that the people will know that you, O Lord... Our God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately the fire fell. Prayer is an important part of sacrifice. Pastor Kevin Foley, I mentioned it this morning, ministered a masterpiece on praying for the Lord of the harvest. He says, all of us can't go, but all of us can pray for the harvest. And pray for laborers to go into the harvest. That God wants us to have that prayer. It's his prayer. He's praying. He's saying, God, you're going to do a miracle. 
and you're going to turn many people to you. That's his prayer. We can lose the value. If we neglect the altar, we'll lose the value of prayer. I was very excited, I have to confess, just prayer meeting, seeing everybody in there this evening, praying, and yeah, you know, knowing that God is pleased when we pray. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. James talks about this. It says, Elijah was as human as we are, yet he prayed earnestly that it would, no rain would fall, and none fell for three and a half years. And when he prayed again, the skies sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crop. Prayer is powerful. Don't ever lose the power of prayer. Let's talk finally about the fire falling. And it says, and immediately, immediately, the fire fell. And it consumed the wood, the bull, and the water. Fire is what we need. Fire, an old comedian named Richard Pryor, he was a horrible cocaine addict. And while he was on cocaine one time, he actually set himself on fire. And as a result, he began to do a whole routine on fire. He would say, fire is inspirational. Fire is motivational. I ran the 100-yard dash in 4-3 because of fire. He began to do this whole routine on how fire, and and it changed his life. It's finally what got him to the point where he didn't get sober right away, but it was a mark in his life that he said, you know what, that's going to kill me. Changed his life. I mentioned this morning that fire changed. When man began to learn how to harness fire, it changed the whole future. We changed steel. Much of what we have is because of fire. When we were in Lithuania, a former a pastor who had been in Lithuania had come back. His name was Peter Turner, he had come back, he was Dutch, he had, uh, was preaching for a couple of the churches, our church there, and his son was with him, his youngest son, and, and we went with my children to the Vilnius Glass Factory. And we were just, it was, there weren't, you know, it wasn't a very organized place, and we actually went in the back to the furnaces. And one of the guys, when we were back there, he's into it. He's got an audience, and he's going to perform, right? And because it is, it's artistry. If you've ever seen glass blowers in those furnaces, eventually shut down because it, these furnaces are heated to 1,500 degrees Celsius to take sand and make it into glass. And so he's doing his thing, and they're showing, he's doing the color thing, and he's showing it, and then he calls the kids up. 
And there's an old woman there, but she's looking at, she's going, no, these kids shouldn't be up there, you know, these furnaces. And he's like, no, 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 I'll take care of you. And puts big gloves on them, and they're, you know, huge from their hands, because they're, I think, you know, the kids were just young teenagers, if that. And he's showing them how to spin it, and he's showing them how to blow, and how you make it, and it's fascinating. The next time I went, big signs, no customers past this point, no customers allowed, and the, you know, big signs up. I, I hope he didn't get fired for it. But fire forms things. Fire purifies things. Fire will purify gold and silver. And in the book of Malachi, it talks about the fire of God purifying us, that the dross, the sin, the disgusting things will come to the surface. Fire purifies. There are many times where God would answer by fire. Leviticus 9, 23 and 24, Moses and Aaron went into the temple the tabernacle and when they came back out they blessed the people again and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole congregation fire blazed from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering the fat on the altar and when the people saw this they shouted with joy and fell down on their faces to the ground something about when people see the fire of God Gideon is a coward. Gideon is hiding in a wine press, graining some wheat because the Midianites have come and stolen away all the fruit. They've stolen away all the land and, the, and he's hiding. And the Lord comes to the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, you're a mighty man of valor, I'm calling you. He's arguing with the Lord. And so he finally says, okay, let me make you lunch. He makes the angel of the Lord lunch and he puts it on the rock and the Bible says fire came out of the rock and consumed. Then Gideon falls to his face. He says, I've seen the Lord. I'm going to die. And God has to remind him that, you know what, if you were going to die, you'd already be dead. And so just go do what I told you to do. Fire. From there, Gideon's name gets changed because the first thing he does is tear down an altar of Baal and he gets the nickname He contends with Baal. Fire. David sins. There's a plague on the land. People are dying. He builds an altar, buys the threshing floor, and offers an offering to the Lord with fire. Solomon at the dedication of the temple, fire fell. Acts chapter 2, when they were in one place and in one accord, the implication is they were praying. Suddenly, the sound of a mighty rushing wind came in. I heard... One preacher, one time, he was preaching in Brazil. He said that they were in this service, and this guy's not crazy. He said it sounded like jet 
engines, like someone had just started up a 747 right outside the building they were in, and the sound of it came through the filling of the Holy Spirit. He said they went back and listened to the audio because he's not the only one who heard it. Nothing. Was, didn't make the audio recording. And it appeared upon each one of them, cloven tongues of fire. It's interesting in all of these, including our text, people fell down and got saved. Acts chapter 2. What is this? They must be drunk. Oh no. This is the prophecy of Joel and three thousand believers that day when the fire falls our text tells us that Israel repented you could go on in the story they grab the prophets of Baal they declare them false prophets they take them down to the river and they kill them because the fire fell Israel is now repenting because the fire fell. We need to contend for the fire. But let me just add, no, no sacrifice, no fire. You don't get to play with this. You don't get to say, oh, I just want a little fire. I just want a candlestick's worth. No sacrifice, no bull, no water, no prayer, no fire. No shoes, no shirt, no service, right? And the fire consumes everything. Everything. It consumes the entire bull, the wood, the stones, the water, everything. Can God consume your life? Everything. Well, I'll come to church. But I ain't going to pray. I ain't going to tithe. I ain't going to outreach. I ain't going to do that. And you ain't going to get the fire. No shoes, no shirts, no service. You won't get it. God wants to consume everything. John Wesley was asked, how do you get so many people to come hear you preach? He says, very simple. I light myself on fire. And they come to watch me burn. The fire. Could the Holy Spirit interfere with your life that much? Could he cause you to reestablish the altar? When's the last time you actually prayed in the morning? I understand not everybody can make it here to the building. 
When's the last time you contended to witness? You gave. You let God use your life. You put a little bit of your life on the, in the basket saying, this is my sacrifice, this is my altar. God wants to consume it all. He doesn't want to take it all. But he wants to consume it all. It is then God does his greatest work. And like I said, over and over in the scripture, you read it, Gideon and David and Samuel and Solomon and all of this. The fire of God falls. Things begin to happen. Our God is a consuming, a devouring fire. Hebrews 12 verse 29. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. There's a wonderful holy presence of God right now. God wants to touch your life. He wants to help you. You don't get this by just being religious. You don't get this by just attending a church. You get this first by meeting God at an altar by meeting Jesus at the altar of Calvary's cross to bring your sin and your problems and your hang-ups and your, your issues and you say God I need you to help me fire purifies fire molds and shapes and allows you to be changed fire changes properties especially in meat Steel changes. Fire eventually would become the essence of the engine. It drives. Your car is literally having explosions in it as it burns the fuel, the gas, to rocket ships that take off with the big explosion of fire. set you on fire? Could he help you? Could he change you? Maybe you're here and you're not right with God. Sin will cause a wet blanket on your spiritual life every time. Prevent God from helping you. If you're here and you're not right with God, not saved, not a Christian, backslidden, whatever it might be, you need prayer, slip up your hand quickly. Say, that's me, I'm not right with God. Christian fire to put ourselves on the altar and say God consume me purify me help me change me mold me shape me the fire of God fall fill with the Holy Spirit again let God help us let's all stand these altars are open you find a place talk to God I'm going to sing that song
invite God to come and visit us. Father, right now, Lord, your grace. in your goodness, your love, your mercies. Hallelujah. Thank God. That's the wonderful grace of God. The, the children of Israel were so far from God and he still let the fire fall. We're a whole lot closer. I mean, a whole lot closer. You guys are righteous. You're in prayer. That's great. All of those things are tremendous. But we need the fire. And that's not just being loud and obnoxious. That's something that burns in your heart. And, you know, it's, it's something that really does change us. Let the fire fall. Let that become part of your prayer. You know, and, and as, I think it was Billy Graham, I can't remember who said it. It's the old classic illustration. You want revival? Draw a circle. Get in it and say, God, start it here. And God will. I believe we've got great things ahead in the very, very near future. And so... And I'm not just talking about schedule of events. I'm talking about God visiting us and helping us. And we're poised for it. It's God's going to really do You know, there's been a wonderful, tangible blessing in our services lately. It's just been remarkable what God is going, about to do. I believe he's going to do something great. We're going to see it fall. Let it, let it consume us. It's not going to be a bad thing. You're not going to go, oh, shucks. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be like, oh, thank God. You know, or the old expression, why didn't I do this earlier? But we'll leave that, you know. If I, if I could change things, I'd be, I'd be changing a lot of things. But, but you can't, right? You can only do go forward. And so let's believe God for great, great things. Amen. You remember our Wednesday service prep, play practice tomorrow. Look forward to that. Uh, our Saturday, uh, Friday, Saturday outreach to the Bronx uh, you, part of that, remember we're leaving at 12 o'clock on Friday so we can get down there in plenty of time and, uh, and in good weather and so believe in God for good things there and as well as all that God's going to do in our upcoming trunk or treat. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Go rejoicing. Sawyer, would you seal us in prayer?